Good morning. Uh, today's reading is Psalm 103. It's in page 502 of your Black Bibles. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is God's word. Morning. It's so great to be back with you, but let's just get this out of the way real quick. So uh, the Mohawk. Let's talk about the Mohawk for a second. So, yeah, so I, I have it uh, partly because I felt confident that I could show up. Here. Ryan's not here. Don't tell Ryan that I showed up here with this because he might renege on the offer to let me come back August 13th and preach to you again. So uh, my son, who I love dearly, when we went to the barbershop last week, said, Papa, can you get a Mohawk with me? And I was like, you know what? I've never had a Mohawk once in my life. We're doing this. And so now I've been rocking it for a week, and my wife's actually digging it, my wife, Danielle. And so I'm like, all right, this is good. Like, we're, we're in the trenches of our 10th year of, of marriage. We've just celebrated 10 years of marriage. And uh, she's digging me again. She thinks I'm hot again. She thinks I'm, I'm likable, apparently, to her. I'm something to her eyes again. So it's staying for now, and Ryan will have to forgive me. So, But like I said, I showed up with it because he's not here primarily. So, And I knew you guys, I knew you guys would be gracious towards me in welcoming me, a guy who's going to stand and preach God's word to you with a mohawk. So I still do have a few screws loose, um, but... God in his grace is continuing to be really, really good to us. Um, let me pray. Let's pray before we uh, jump into this. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Ryan and Jess and family being away. Lord, be with them. Be gracious to them. Nourish their souls. Give them physical rest, soul rest. Father, thank you for the diligent work they do. But, but thank you for all of those that uh, work alongside them too as well. We know that this church is not just about them. Jesus, this is your church. You are the head of this church. We are your body. And there are many who participate in seeing this church 
move forward in her mission for Jesus here in North Andover and beyond. And so I thank you for all the servants that comprise this church and call this place home. I pray you'd bless them, Father, continue to strengthen people where they need to be strengthened. Most importantly, through your word this morning, may you nourish our souls, may you rearrange furniture if you need to, but cause us to remember all of your benefits, Father, deep in the depth of our hearts so that we would be transformed for your glory, our joy, and for the sake of those that you call us to in the everyday stuff of life. Hear my prayer and answer it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are rocking the Psalms. I love the Psalms. The Psalms have been medicine to, this, to my soul uh, for uh, the better part of a year. Um, and so it's, it's fitting that we're in the Psalms. It's been fitting for me that I was asked to come and preach from the Psalms with you. So I'm excited to do that. And we're looking at Psalm 103. Um, and the Psalms are, are beautiful essentially because it is the place, capital T, capital H, capital E, it is the place, the place, however you pronounce it, the place to go to deal with your emotions and your heart. And what you have uh, is not necessarily a, an advice book. Uh, you don't necessarily have like a how-to kind of guide uh, in, in regards to like how to deal with like life stress or life's problems. It's not just like practical steps that help you get over the hump of whatever you're dealing with in life. But what you have is actually a case study of people, guys like David, who struggled, a man after God's own heart, but actually struggled with tons of stuff in his life, right? Sin, lots of sin, buckets of sin in this guy's life that he struggled with. But you have a case study of people like struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear, struggling with doubt, struggling with, 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 the, with, with suffering, all types of different suffering, with enemies coming in from all different sides of life, people doubting, people wondering whether or not God's love for them is real, whether his grace is sufficient. All these types of things are there in the Psalms, shame and guilt. Every single condition the human heart struggles with, both then and what we struggle with now. Um, but what's unique about Psalm 103 is Psalm 103 doesn't just necessarily hit just one of those aspects. It doesn't just deal with shame or guilt or anxiety or how to deal with suffering or frustration or sleepless nights. It actually deals with the all of life. Psalm 103, if you dig at it, um, it helps you and it gets after how to handle all of life's problems. Now, whatever problem we struggle with, whatever emotion we deal with, uh, it plays itself out in different ways as we walk through life, right? But essentially what Psalm 103 gets at is, here's the, here's the problem, here's the one fundamental thing we need in order to work through whatever this stuff is that we struggle with. You feel me? This past year... Uh, has been probably the most darkest period of my life in the longest time that I can remember since walking with Jesus. And that's been, geez, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years now. Was one of the most intense struggles of my life. When we talk about dark nights of the soul, uh, it, I, was, I was in one. Um, struggling with, with guilt, sh- struggling with shame, questioning uh, who I was, questioning myself as a man, questioning myself as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a, as a church planter up in Maine, um, wondering uh, about, about my life, struggling to have confidence in anything. I, I just told you a second ago, we, my wife Danielle and I just uh, celebrated last month 10 years of marriage. And, and when we, ce- I shouldn't even use the word celebrated, right? Because celeb- like when we hit 10 years on June 2nd, it wasn't like confetti and clowns and cakes and people like at our house and like music and dancing. It was more or less like, like bloody knuckles, like scrapes, like torn clothes, like 
like black and blue under the eyes from just exhaustion, from being a parent, from like trying to do this marriage thing well, the way Jesus would want me to do this marriage thing, right? Like crawling across the finish line, right? There, there have been many days where, where like we were just at each other's throat. It wasn't like we come down and like we hug each other and like, hey, good morning. It would be like, hey, good morning. And be like, what? What, you want to do this again now? We're going to do this today? Like it'd be like one of these, right? Like we were facing off with each other like constantly. And we've been pretty open about how God has used that in our lives in our marriage this past year. And I remember working through this psalm specifically at one point. And, and the psalm all of a sudden just kind of jumped out to me. And, and I read it a few times through and meditated on it. And I've been practicing how to biblically meditate, actually sit in the text and really think through it and let it try to grab a hold of my heart. And man, I remember the first time reading this psalm, right, and just going, you know what, that's really nice. You know, you read the first couple of, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I remember hearing songs sung about like, bless the Lord, oh my soul, right? And I'm going, man, that just sounds really, really nice. A guy who can bless the Lord repeatedly, he's got praise, he's a happy guy, that's good for him, great. That sounds really, really nice. But I started wondering, like, how the heck can I get to blessing the Lord, seriously, in my life right now? Like, how can I get to blessing the Lord with all of my soul and all that's within me, right? What's it going to take here? Because I can barely keep my head up right now. Like, I can barely stay afloat right here. I barely feel like I'm contributing anything good in this life as a husband, as a dad, as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor, as a church, whatever, as a friend. I'm barely contributing anything to, any, to anyone. Like, so how can I get to this point in my life? And as I meditated on a bit, it struck me, verse 2, it's right there. The psalmist David says this, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What we have here is David saying, literally, the main thing I need to do, the main thing you need to do, the main thing we need to do, the main way we get to blessing God, the main way we handle life is to not forget. Is to not forget. But when the scriptures call for us to remember, which is a very common thread throughout the scriptures, forgetting and remembering, both Old and New Testament, when the scriptures call us to remember God and remember his benefits, this goes way beyond just mere mental like reflection upon something that might have happened in the past, where we just kind of automatically go, oh, wow, yeah, I remember that. I remember what happened there. But it's something far deeper than just mental recollection. So we're going to look at here in Psalm 103, we're going to learn why we need to remember, what we need to remember, and where we need to remember. So we're going to look at why, we're going to look at where, and we're going to look at what we need to remember because I'm learning in my own life how much this matters to my own soul health. And by God's grace, I'm really hoping that you will too, all right? So let's go. Let's do this. Number one, why we need to remember. When he says, David, he says, forget not, what he means is remember. And so the question is, is what is forgetting and what is remembering? Why, what is it? Uh, why is it so hard? Um, and why is it so important? Why, why is this such a central theme in, in the scriptures that God calls his people to, that when they forget to remember, calls them back to remembering him? Um, it's pretty prominent among the people of God in the Bible. If you go into Second Peter, uh, Peter's speaking to the people of God and he says, basically he's telling them, he gives them the list of virtues that grow in faith, Uh, I want you to grow in goodness, I want you to grow in virtue, I want you to grow in self-control and in perseverance and kindness and in love. I want you to grow in these things. We should be growing in these things. Then he says, if you're not growing in these things, if you're lacking in any of it, it's because you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins. 
Okay. You go back even in the Old Testament, God's telling his people through prophets, specifically in Isaiah chapter 44 in one instance, God's constantly talking about forgetting and remembering himself primarily. He tells them in Isaiah 44, he basically tells his people who've fallen into this ridiculousness of, of worshiping idols. He says, remember me. I'm the one who formed you. I'm the one who created you, and I will not forget you. I don't remember your sins. I've blotted them out like a cloud. Your sins are like a mist, God says through Isaiah. He says, therefore, return to me because I have redeemed you, bought you back. He's calling them to remember his benefits toward them. But this whole remember thing, as I said, is, is more than just some sort of mere mental recollection, right? So like, may, maybe most of us in here, like, you're pretty good at remembering key moments in your life, right? Like I was sitting in Haverhill this morning at this thing called Starbucks uh, over by the Haverhill Plastow line. And man, I just had all these, like, I was flooded with all these memories because we lived in Haverhill for six and a half years. We pastored a church over there for a while. We lived there, all three of our, and I'm remembering, like, key moments. Like, all these things are just, like, popping up in my mind. I started remembering, uh, like, when I lived in Haverhill, like, if I wanted to go get the best sub in the world, where would I go? I would go to Benedetti's. You heard of this place? No? You don't live that far away. Go to Benedetti's and get a sub and tell them I sent you there. They'll be happy. If I wanted, like, a wicked good rocket, they call it, or a sub, uh, I would go to Benedetti. So I remember those type of things. My, my kids seem to be really, I mean, if you're a parent, you're, maybe your kids are like this, but my kids seem to be really, really, really good at remembering all the times that I mess up as a dad. And they do it in such good timing, right? Like they seem to know when to remind you at some of like the most perfect times, right? Like when you're already feeling guilty over something else you've done, your kids just like blurt out like, hey dad, remember like three years ago when you like flipped out and like, you know, knocked over a water bottle off the table because you were frustrated and it's like, yeah, I was just getting over that. But like, thanks for bringing that back up again. Like I already just, I, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm a failure as a dad. Like they're so good at that in their innocence, they seem to remind you, right? But remembering has more to do, biblically, has more to do with affecting you at your core. Remembering gets beyond the mental recognition or recollection of something, a moment, history, and it gets at you deep down in your heart where it actually has the power to change you and how you act. Right? Like, you know how many times that I've jacked something up in my life, whether it's marriage or just whatever, and I say with resolve, I am never doing that again. You do that? I'm never, ever going to allow that to happen again. It's because at that moment, I realize or I feel or I see the destruction or how bad this behavior is or how dangerous this is to my family or someone else. But do you know what can happen? Like, uh, give it a week, give it a month, give it a year. Hey, sometimes give it an hour. And what happens? Oftentimes, sometimes that thing happens again. Because the fear of that destructive behavior or the reality and the weight of what happened hit you at the core and it changed you for a moment. It changed you even for a bit. Maybe you had a little time in between. But you know what happens over time, that begins to wear off a bit and you slowly begin to forget about it. You forget about what happened. A little distance, a little time, a little distraction and you feel like you're good. You feel like you're nailing it again. Or you've forgotten about it completely. But eventually, without your heart truly being changed at the core of who you are and the depth of your soul, it comes back. And even though you maybe can mentally remember the fact that you felt that way, 
you don't necessarily remember the experience of that feeling and how that made you feel, the destruction and the guilt and the shame over whatever it was that happened. And if you can't remember the feeling, it means you're not acting on it, which means it's not central to you. It's not at your core. But we can remember the bad stuff, right? Are you good at remembering bad stuff that happened? Right? We remember certain things that were said to us. It could have been the littlest side comment by someone that means a little bit to us, whether it was a parent or a friend or a teacher or a coach or someone who just meant something so much to us. We remember those comments. We remember the bad stuff that happens quite clearly in HD, don't we? Painful stuff that's happened. Stuff that we'd absolutely love to forget, but we just can't erase. We can't get rid of. Maybe it was something said to you when you were a kid by someone who was supposed to love you or be all in on you. Something maybe you saw in person. Maybe it was on the computer. Maybe it was physically that you saw something take place. And now those things seem to be implanted in you. Hard to erase. Hard to forget. You ever had something dislocated? A shoulder, right? Pop out or something like that, right? Painful stuff. It hurts. But what happens with the shoulder now? Right? Like if your shoulder's been dislocated now, your shoulder can't perform the way it was originally designed to perform. It can't rotate. It can't move. It can't function the way it was originally designed to function because it's not in its proper place doing what it was originally designed to do. And that's exactly how the Bible describes the problem of sin with our hearts. Right? You think about this. Because of sin entering into the world in Genesis 3, right, with the believing a lie from the serpent in the garden to Eve and to Adam, our hearts, are now been, our hearts have now been dislocated. They're not in its proper place because of we've believed a lie. And now everything's gone awry. Everything is perceived differently now. Our hearts have been dislocated. We were created to enjoy God. We were created to have communion with God. We had the love of God. We had the kindness of God. We had the face of God in our lives before us. But now everything is thrown off when sin comes into the picture. Now we doubt and question God when things happen in our life, when finances go down the toilet, so to speak, or relationships are fractured or broken, or we see some sort of big world issue unveiling. And it breaks our hearts and it frustrates us and it causes us to question and even doubt whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, we start to question God or we wonder about God's goodness or his love or his grace to us. It's because we're absent from the face of God and the presence of God because of our hearts. The problem with sin is our hearts have been dislocated and they've been turned in on themselves seeking to be our own God in charge of our own lives. And now, the things that should keep us confident in life the things that should keep us secure, the things that should keep our souls at rest, the things that should keep us loving and sacrificial and humble and affirmed in life, we tend to forget those things immediately after we've experienced them. But the bad stuff, we remember. We carry it with us. It sticks with us. They stay with us as clear as HD, clear as day. Can you feel this? Have you been there? Psalm 103 is preaching that if you're honed in on the benefits of being forgiven, of being healed, of being redeemed from the pit of death, of being crowned with mercies and steadfast love, 
Psalm 103 is saying you'll be a happy person. You'll be, the, you'll be the guy or the gal who's, you know, blessing the Lord with all of his soul, maybe singing the song and happy and smiling and balloons all around you all the time and, and there's just never a cloudy day and that's great. We would love to be there. I would love to be there. But being told you'll never be anything as a child, you don't forget that. It becomes central to who you think you are no matter how many compliments people throw at you, Right? Right? It typically t- takes about 20, I don't know what the statistics are these days, but it takes about 10 to 20 compliments. Maybe, Paul, you could answer this. 10 to 20 compliments just to even um, erase or even overcome one negative thing that's been said to you. You always remember the one negative thing. That's because the heart and the mind have been dislocated by the sin, and heart, the heart now sets the course for all of our life and how we engage ourselves, how we engage others, and how we perceive and interpret things from the world. And the question is, is why do we forget? Why are we so prone to forget the good? Why are we so prone to uh, lose the experience of the good or the truth about the good? Why? Romans 1 says this. It tells us that the human heart wants to be in charge now. We want to call the shots, right? You've got all of creation, right? We've got a beautiful day. You feel the warmth of the sunshine. You can go not too far from here, and you could be at the ocean and see the beautiful landscape you can see the bird, you can hear the birds chirping, you could see the beauty of all types of different things. All of creation screams at us, God, it's God, it's God. And yet the human heart cannot bear to see the greatness of God. We cannot bear to see what we owe Him. And so we actually try to forget God, sometimes intentionally, ferociously, verbally trying to forget God with our actions and with our words, and sometimes we do it um, unconsciously. Sometimes we do it unintentionally, not thinking about it, but we're actually doing it because of the way we're wired to live life turned in on ourselves. And Paul says in Romans 1 that when you do that, which we do, if we're honest, we actually suppress the truth about God even more, and our hearts are are darkened even more. So, the reality, as we unpack this, is this, is that you and I, humans in general, we're, we're in need of spiritual intervention desperately because we're, we're wired to remember the hurt. We're wired to remember the pain. We're wired to forget the good, the right, and the true. So the question is, where do we need work? And that's our second point, where we need to remember. You look at verse 1. Where does the psalm say is the real problem? Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Right? Psalm, Psalm 103 is not necessarily even a prayer. It's more of a dialogue. It's more of a sermon to yourself. Right? David's preaching the sermon to his own soul. He's working this out. He's dialoguing. He's preaching to himself and admitting, in the depth of my soul, and you see this in other Psalms with David, in Psalm 42 especially, he says, Why are you downcast, oh my soul? He looks like some lunatic probably as he's having this conversation with himself. Some person's walking by and going, man, that guy's crazy over there. Like he's talking, like he's arguing with himself. It's almost like he's throwing down with himself. And he's saying, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Repeating it over and over and over again. And here he's admitting, in the depth of my soul, I did not believe. I forgot your benefits. Help me not to forget your benefits. Even though my mind might mentally adhere to some knowledge, I might know about his benefits. There's no connection to the heart. There's no connection to the soul. Because the reality is it's not just enough to believe it here in the mind or to assent to some mere mental facts. 
that doesn't produce the change, it doesn't produce the life that God desires for His people. And I'm not great at this, I'll be honest with you, even now, right? I, I shared with you Psalm 103 working me over and I'm coming through this like wicked dark time in my life and struggle and, and now like the sun seems to be dawning again and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for the grace in that, but I'm learning because this is more than just a prayer. It's more than I just need some Bible verses to read. It's more than me just getting up for an hour a day and, and just, you know, doing the, doing the disciplines or doing the practices or having good spiritual formation in my life. It's learning, actually, beyond that, to meditate on something until it wrestles your heart to the ground and you see something beautiful and good and right and true and you submit to it. Look at what he's doing to himself, right? Look at Psalm 103 right in the beginning. He's ferociously breaking down the benefits, right? He's, he's starting to say, right? Look at, look at it this way and look at it this way and remember it this way and remember this specific aspect of the benefits, right? And don't forget them because you are forgetting them. So don't forget them. So remember this and remember that and remember this, right? He's trying to grab a hold of his soul in the presence of God before God himself and saying, you need to see God, heart. Soul, you need to see his beauty. You need to see his grace. You need to see his mercies. You need to see his forgiveness. You need to see his healing. You need to see his rescue. You need to see the good over you now. You need to see that you've been crowned with steadfast love and mercy, and now that's your new identity in him now. No matter what anybody else says to you or how your heart condemns you over your appearance or what you've done, that's not your identity now because in Jesus, you've been crowned with steadfast love and mercy now. That's now your identity. You need to remember this soul. You've got to grab a hold of this, right? So he's reasoning and he's preaching and he's thinking this out and he's arguing and he's praying because he's first meditated on this and come to the realization that deep in the depth of his soul, something's off. His heart has condemned him and told him something other than that. Ultimately, there's unbelief and forgetfulness deep in the heart. I was listening to someone talk about this recently and it hit me because it's true of me. Um, and I thought about it this way. Um, the reason why I'm such a, and, and I'm not one of these people who just like constantly downs himself, so if I portray that, then forgive me, but I tend to feel my failures and they tend to teach me a lot and, and God's grace teach me a lot. So um, like the reason why sometimes I can be a lousy just person or um, not a great preacher, not a great pastor, not a great husband, I go down the list, not a great friend, um, is because I don't do a great job listening sometimes, right? Um, if I fail to listen to you and I just get up and speak to you, like the once or twice that I come and hang out with you a year now, uh, or with our people in Kennebunk, with our church that we're getting ready to start, the people that I've been called to uh, lead and do life with, um, if I just get up and speak, or I just sit with them over coffee or a dinner around the table and hanging out, and I'm just like blabbering to them about why like they need to fix their life, or what's wrong with them, and I fail to listen, then I'm doing a pretty lousy job of helping people and loving people. Would you agree? Right? Or with my kids. If I haven't sat and listened to them or mined the fields of their heart when there's some sort of like crisis, like you've punched your brother, you're outside thinking that the world is like your, um, your bathroom and that you could just go to the bathroom anytime you want, wherever you want. We're dealing with this with my four-year-old, by the way. And if I don't sit down and mine the field, field of his heart and hear him and let him unpack all the stuff that swims around in his heart that will ultimately reveal why he did what he did, then I failed him if I just go, hey, stop, 
Hey, hey pull your pick, cut it out. Stop whacking your brother. Don't talk back to me. There are some times where you need that. But if I fail to sit and mine the field and listen, then I won't be much help. And, and you wouldn't be much help either if we do that. But if I only listen to you and I don't say anything, if I just sit there and I, I listen and I listen and I listen and I offer no response, then I'm not much help to you either, right? Or you're not help to someone else either if you're never offering some response. We have to be able to listen to what our hearts are telling us when the Spirit through the Scriptures begin to unpack some junk in our heart. But Psalm 103 teaches us not to just stay in listening mode, though, because once your heart reveals to you some sort of unbelief or some sort of way that you've forgotten his benefits, grab a hold of it and deal with it. Somebody once said that depression uh, is caused by listening to your heart too much rather than talking to it. Biblical meditation is taking in the truths and the benefits of God and preaching it to your heart in the presence of God and making your heart remember it. And I'm learning that as a parent, when my kids are acting crazy, as I said, or trying to take over the house, um, the hey, stop killing each other, or hey, don't think of the world as like your, 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 your bathroom where you can just go wherever you want, or hey, you know, stop manipulating or stop being selfish. Um, like none of that's going to bring change to their hearts but it takes me sitting down with them and having a conversation with them and digging down into the why over what they've done and reminding them over and over and over and over and over again as their hearts begin to condemn them over what they've done wrong, how much they're loved, that no matter what, I'm your papa and you are my son and I will always love you no matter what, no matter what, because you are my son whom I love. We need to remember in the depth of our heart by meditating and preaching, taking in the truths of God, ferociously, aggressively taking in these truths of God until our hearts grab a hold of it. But the question is, and it's our last, our last point, is this is, uh, what do we need to remember specifically? We've been talking about his benefits. We've been talking about the truths of God. What exactly do we have to remember? And it's right there in verse 2 again when he says, forget not his benefits. Uh, some of us here may believe the gospel, which is the good news of what God has done in Jesus. And it's good news. It's great news. It's spectacular news. It's beautiful news. It's the main thing that we need. And that's the thing that we're, we're always, we always have to be pushing deep down in the depth of our soul when we forget. Because the problem behind all of our problems is that we don't remember the gospel. We forget the good news. And so the question is, is what is the gospel? And first of all, it is, it's good news, right? Listen to Psalm 103 here. Spout some really, really good news. Verses 10 through 12. He, God, does not deal with us according to our sins. Take that in. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us, right? Your east and your west, my east and my west, they're infinitely apart, right? Like they're never ever going to meet up with each other. Never, they're never ever going to come into a collision course with one another. They're never going to run into each other. And what David is saying is if God has removed your transgressions as far as the east is from the west, that means that they're completely gone and they're never ever coming up back against you ever again. 
They're never, ever going to be put before you by God ever again because he's removed them as far as the east is from the west. If you let that sink in and take that in, that's incredible news. But how does that happen, right? Like, think about, like, how is it that God can come into my life and now I have his love and now I have his grace and now I have his presence and now I have his forgiveness and his mercies and I have my sins removed from me, never to be brought back up against me? Like, how can God be gracious and compassionate to me, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love to me? Because if you go back to Exodus 34, the Lord speaking through Moses to Moses for the sake of the people of God, he said the same exact thing. He said, I, the Lord, am gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But if you read the very next verse after it, he says, but I will by no means clear the guilty. Whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The consequence of our sin is that we'll always get what we deserve. So the question is, so what do I get? Am I getting the, the steadfast love? Am I getting the graciousness? Am I getting the, the, the guy who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? Or am I getting what I deserve? Am I getting the just consequence of my sin and my actions and my, my failures and my sin? The prophet Isaiah, he said, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us, we've turned every one to our own way, and God put upon him the iniquities of us all. So he says, we've all turned to our own way, which is the essence of sin. We've turned our back on God. We've tried to forget God in some way, shape, or form. Every single sin, guys, right? Every single sin that we engage is an attempt to forget God. It's an attempt to turn your back on our maker and sustainer and take the rain. So do you know what the penalty for that sin is? And this is what rocked my world. I've been reading a little bit of C.S. Lewis lately, trying to be like a smart guy now. C.S. Lewis is talking about the metaphor of hell, and he says, uh, I know something that hurts way more than the hell, fire, and brimstone that we've been accustomed to hearing when we talk about hell. What hurts even more, what's worse, is to be ignored. Isn't that the worst feeling in the world, right, when you've been made to feel insignificant, when you've been made intentionally to feel forgotten or ignored or slighted, like you don't even exist, right? Like, so I'll just be honest with you. It hurt when I was a kid on the playground, and it still hurts today when it happens. It still hurts worse than anything else subtly, deep down. It pierces me. You feel this? When you've been made to feel forgotten or not remembered or not cared about, or made to feel small or insignificant or nothing at all. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, he says, what would it be like to be treated as a nobody by the only one who's a somebody? What would it be like to be treated as insignificant by the only person who is really significant, who is the source of all significance, Lewis says? He says it would be hell. That would be hell. He says to be in hell is to be completely and permanently ignored in a place of darkness and nothingness with nothing around and nobody around, completely ignored, completely left alone. But the gospel tells us, the good news tells us, is that when Jesus was on the cross and he looked to heaven, God turned away from his own son. God turned his face away from his own son. And what God was doing was forgetting him on the cross as the iniquities of us all were laid upon him on the cross. God was forgetting his own son. You see, Jesus experienced torment, right? 
He experienced isolation. He experienced darkness. He experienced uh, the forgetfulness of his father. The relationship with his father that he had shared so intimately with him was now gone. Why? So that you and I would always be remembered, guys. So that you and I would never, ever be forgotten by our maker, our sustainer, our creator, our God. Because we forgot him, we deserve to be forgotten. You feel me? We deserve to be not remembered. But he was forgotten, so we would always be remembered. We deserve, listen to this, Psalm 103, look at verses 15 to 16. It says, as for man, David says, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But instead of that, do you know what we get now? Look at the very next verse in verse 17. It says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to him who fears him. In order for us to be remembered, Jesus had to be forgotten. And it was for the joy that was set before him in seeing tons of people remembered and never forgotten that he endured the cross, Hebrews says. That means now, guys, that you have value in the eyes of God. You and I have value before him. It now means that you and I don't have to live with uh, fear over the future or over the now. We don't have to live with fear or guilt or shame now because he forgives your iniquity. Don't forget that. Don't forget, guys, that he heals all your disease, right? All your disease. The gospel tells us that there's a day coming where it will get better. It's going to get better once and for all. Everything will be the way it should be. There will be personal renewment. There will be societal renewment. There will be relational renewment. It'll be complete, utter flourishing, shalom, peace, the way God designed it. Don't forget that, guys. Don't forget that he redeems your life from the pit, that you don't have to fear death. No matter where you're at on the age scope, I've been dealing with this with some people in my own family recently. You don't have to fear death now because he redeems your life from the pit, a.k.a. from death. So there's your hope. There's your hope beyond what happens here and now and what happens next. Right there. Don't forget that, Grace Point. Don't forget that he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. So you know what that means? It means it does not matter what other people think. It does not matter how much this guy works out over here. Or what this girl's eating over there and how many times a day she runs even though she's got 20 kids. Like, where does she find the time to do that and look so amazing? It does not matter because your identity now, ladies, men, right, is wrapped up in the fact that you have been crowned with steadfast love and mercy as a son and daughter of God in the family of God. That's beautiful. That's amazing. That's way better than any other fledgling identity that we could ratchet up for ourselves here in this, in this place. You feel me? Don't forget that, please. He will not forget you. Don't forget that. Remember this and let this change you for your joy, his glory, and for those that he calls you and I beyond this thing that we do. He calls us to serve and he calls us to love and bless as salt and light to where he sends us to. All right? I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to offer a benediction and we're done. We're not doing the singing thing. That's crazy, right? So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace in this place today, this moment. Thank you for the very grace of breath in our lungs. 
the ability to see and hear and enjoy good food and laughter and feel the sun and the warmth of it today and hear our kids laughing. God, thank you for all of these gifts that you offer to us, none of which we deserve. Jesus, cause us to remember you. Cause us to take in the truth that you were forgotten on the cross so that we would never, ever be forgotten ever again by the one who made us, by the one who is significant, by the one who gives us everything. We are now never to be forgotten because of what you have done for us, Jesus. I pray you would cause Grace Point to drink that grace in day in and day out as they leave this place today. I pray that you would continue to transform us and help us day in and day out to preach this to our own hearts when our hearts seek to condemn us because scriptures say that our hearts are deceitful and we can't even truly understand them. But you do and you came up with a solution to the problem of our hearts, the sin problem. And it was your son being willing to be forgotten on the cross so that we would never ever be forgotten again. And now we have your forgiveness now we have our sins removed as far as the east is from the west. Now we have your steadfast love. Now we have your compassion and mercy upon us every single day, which is new to us every single day. Help us to drink that in, not just today, but as we wake up on Monday and do our work stuff and do our life stuff. Spirit, be gracious to these people. Be gracious to this church. Strengthen and empower them for the mission you have for them. Hear my prayer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? And would you receive this word of benediction as we go from this place? May the grace of God and the peace of God be multiplied to you so that it would be multiplied through you. For his glory, your joy, and the sake of the people that he's calling to you. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Love you guys. Good to see you guys.